welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Eat, Drink, Opera. I'm Zachary Thomas Newman. And I'm Teresa Powell. And this is the podcast that makes opera more digestible over dinner and a glass of wine. Uh, Today, on our second episode of this season, we are very excited to be talking about a Russian opera, Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onyegin, which is... um, Russian. So um, we'll get into that in a little bit. Before we do, let's chat with our guests, our first ever returning guests. Yay! Uh, we have Reagan Myers and the Mexican acorn himself, Guillermo Delgado. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, y'all? Not good. Bad. Really good. Awesome. Welcome, welcome back. Uh, we are finishing up right now some delicious food that Teresa cooked for us. I was the chef today. You're welcome. <laughs> we do appreciate it. Yes. Uh, food is very food good. is good. Nourishment <laughs> is it was super life. Good um, so yeah, we're we're very excited to be talking about this opera today. We have uh, Reagan is is a big fan of Tchaikovsky. Guillermo, you've sung Lenski before, right? You did that yeah. a couple times. So you did it where first? University of Oklahoma. And then I did it in Philadelphia with Russian Opera Workshop. Oh, wonderful! I knew you had been to Russian Opera Workshop, but I guess mm-hmm. I didn't realize you did Lenski. Yeah, yeah, that's uh-huh. awesome. That's really cool. That's sure. a, for those of you who don't know, the Russian Opera Workshop is hosted at uh, AVA, the Ameri- Academy of Vocal Arts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of a big time young artist program I'd say I mean it's a tuition based program but a lot of the people that go there and put on the the shows I feel like are are very talented singers oh yeah absolutely definitely and it's definitely a big uh, uh, Gina Meyerson the the person who's on the program is is big about getting this kind of Russian repertoire into you know obviously Onegin's Mm -hmm. is is in the the standard repertoire right but other other Russian operas and stuff sure and and people do the operas uh, up there after you know after he does them and he coaches at AVA so his you know students at AVA them. Right, which is yeah. great. And and I feel like he's done some really cool stuff. Like, of course, he does stuff like Onyegin, but he's done, like, Romeo and Juliet. He's done Queen of Spades or wh- whatever the heck. It, you know, there, he's done all kind of... Iolanta. Uh, yeah. I mean, our buddy Toby was right. in Iolanta. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's his mm-hmm. thing, right? Gena is... Mm-hmm. Is Gena Russian? No, he's not. He's from Ukraine, I believe. Gena, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, shouts uh-huh. to Gena. Um, you're awesome. We appreciate everything you do for Russian repertoire. Yeah. Um, so let's chat a little bit. Usually, before we get into the show, we talk about um, kind of what is your your magic show, right? And and I think you all remember last time you were here, we kind of had that that talk about what is the thing or the the show or the moment when you realized you wanted to be in in kind of the world of opera, the world of classical music. So obviously we don't need to revisit that with you guys, but instead let's let's chat a little bit about maybe something cool you've seen lately um, or something you want to see. Tell me, just t- talk to me about some classical music. What, what do you have going on in your life? Shouts to the 94 production of Onyegin that I watched okay. today on my conference period. <laughs> who, who was the, the cast in that one? I don't know. Okay. But it's on YouTube. Wonderful. Because I didn't even want to investigate because it was... It would have ruined like the the magic of just watching it because it was so good. Like nobody was too woofy. Because right. I feel like as soon as you get into Russian repertoire, <laughs> everybody starts over covering. Like, uh, absolutely, and then but, they like get the tongue tension exactly. going. It's just yeah. a whole affair, and this did not happen. And I was like, I don't even care who it is. I was <laughs> like, I don't recognize anybody, and that's okay. That's perfect. Yeah. It was great. As long as it's good music and and artistically done, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Guillermo? You you've seen any good shows or have anything coming up? 
Not as far as uh, as opera is concerned, although I will say uh, I heard a, a really good uh, Tchaikovsky piano concerto on the radio the other day. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I started listening to a couple other ones. Of course, you know, people who really know that repertoire know Tchaikovsky for his piano concertos. Right. And that's just, that's an opera in a piano concerto, you know? Like sure. It's, it's kind of like sometimes uh, people talk about Mozart and how some of his symphonies are operatic in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can say the same thing about like Tchaikovsky and, and even other composers like Brahms and stuff. But uh, so just since we're talking about Tchaikovsky, I think, you know, if you're a fan of Eugene Onegin, go listen to it was like Piano Concerto number like three or something, I think it was. And it was, it's just, you know, it's a brilliant. Very one. cool. Definitely. Yeah. So Tchaikovsky's brilliant. Guillermo kind of has the leg up on us on, on listening to classical music right now uh, as his new job has him working at the local classical radio station. Um, as a as a host, right? Like you, you actually get to host some some stuff and Classical talk on the radio. Eighty nine point five. That's right, KMFA. KMFA. So Guillermo is our Guillermo's our our actual radio personality here today. He's got uh, more official experience than everyone else. It so. wasn't trying to like, yeah. I was just just saying, Tchaikovsky piano concerto, like really. <laughs> like, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, for me, I don't know if I've necessarily seen any really like stellar stuff lately besides again obviously Eugene Onegin is a, a beautiful opera and we'll get into that in a little bit um, I am very excited uh, this weekend which it'll probably have already passed by the time this episode drops but this weekend uh, Opera San Antonio is obviously doing their production of Tosca and I've got several friends in that that'll be great um, I'm also very excited for the upcoming production of Rigoletto at mm-hmm. Austin Opera mm-hmm. Um, actually, I think our episode next month is going to be over Rigoletto, nice. and we're going to have some at least one person from the cast of the Austin Opera production cool. on to talk about it with us. So that's that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. Speaking of Opera San Antonio, I did see their Faust, which was I thought was yeah. Very, very our nice. our friend um, was it Joe or Josh? I can never. Remember. It's Josh. Josh was Josh. Yeah. Josh uh-huh. played the title role. Bless you. Bless you. Uh, yeah, Josh Dennis did an excellent job in the yeah, title so that role. That was a while back, but, but definitely, if you're in the area, quality, quality production, yeah. quality singing. And and good on Opera San Antonio for for being a thing, because at one point, oh, yeah. I think they literally went bankrupt <laughs> yes. because they owed Placido Domingo money. so much money for some performance he charged a million dollars for. Yeah. Um, so good for them for, for being around and putting on really quality uh, shows. You know, Dottie Randall is the, the chorus master out there, is another friend of mine and yeah great nice. shows um, good stuff so I've gotten into all that let's talk uh, food and wine yes so uh, today's opera obviously is, is as we've said several times Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin and when we were trying to figure out what to pair with this um, I had a couple of ideas at first um, someone suggested to me to use a Georgian wine, like from the country Ooh. of Georgia. Yeah. Um, but those are hard to get my hands on. And also, I don't know much about Georgian wine. And the, the, I mean, I would have to actually like do some really serious research to be able to talk about it with any level of fluency. It wouldn't sure. be as cool if you could just go buy Georgian wine. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, I could, <laughs> I theoretically could get my hands on some. I sell one Georgian wine at the winery, but it's a sweet wine. Um, and then okay. I have some distributor friends that I think distribute Georgian wines, but no one stocks them in the retail stores, you know, so I'd have to get it directly from a distributor. It'd be a whole thing. So so I kind of nixed that idea. Um, And we started talking about food options because a lot of times we start with food. And... (laughs) 
<laughs> our first instinct, Teresa, you said basically, well, Russian food tends to be boring, right? It's a lot of <laughs> potatoes and beets and borscht and cold stuff. Oh my gosh, and, you're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and so we kind of went through that for a minute, and then Teresa, we landed on stroganoff. Yep, so we did beef stroganoff. Um, I dug through a bunch of traditional recipes online, uh, just kind of landed on one that seemed to match all the ones that I'd found. Um, And we did the short... The short cook time version of this. Right. Um, there's some recipes out there that have you do like a two or three hour braise mm-hmm. on it and mm-hmm. like let it stew kind of. Um, but we did it. We actually did like a, a really traditional American beef stew the other day. Right. And so and we didn't want it to like I, Yeah. I didn't want it to end up being like a beef stew. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we got a really nice cut of sirloin. Uh, so the, the the nicer the cut of beef, the shorter the cook time can yeah, be. Yeah, because there's so less like So you can sear it like a steak. So. Mm. so we cut it into cubes and seared it and left it to the side and then basically made a sauce, like a brown sauce, like a gravy right. basically, uh, with with the little crispy bits on the bottom. Yeah, like, and, a, like a mushroom uh, gravy. Yeah, and then just added the meat back in at the last minute. So I think it turned out pretty good. It was yeah. delicious. Yeah, it turned yeah. out great. And... Uh, um, so to pair with that, I I was thinking about like the flavors and the textures, right? So a lot of pairing, people assume, you know, you're, you're always pairing the protein with the wine. And we talked about this in the last episode a little bit because I had paired that, that lamb chop with the aged Rioja and the, the best part of the pairing actually wasn't even the meat with the wine. It was the sauce. It was that lavender bar rouge that was so good with our sauce, uh, with our wine rather. And so with this one, I was trying to think of like, what kind of textures are in the the sauce? What kind of textures are going on in flavors? And so basically it's a, a brown sauce with mushroom and beef. And so when I hear something that's like heavy on mushroom, my initial reaction is to go burgundy or Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is it's it's got an earthy quality to it. Like when you start talking about Pinot Noir, you get into very earthy wines. You get into these these sort of like mushroomy, decaying forests, like, mm-hmm. and then these kind of cherry characters as well. Um, but the problem with doing Burgundy is that it tends to be expensive if you want quality Burgundy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to first of all save my own money, but also to to just use wines that are a little more accessible. Yeah. <clears throat> so I was thinking about other like fun things to use for pairings. And I was talking to my boss a little bit, and we landed on Barbera, Barbera de Asti. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Barbera is a really cool wine. Um, it's a it's a red grape that's native to Italy, uh, mostly grown in the northern region of Italy. Um, this one comes from Asti, which is in. Maybe the Veneto, maybe Alto Adige. I'm, I can't remember. I just had a stroke. So it's, it's not Italy. I, it's not. Okay, well, I'm doing We're well. We're just here. lying. On uh, <laughs> None of what we yes, say everything I say is a lie. Um, but no, so it's a really cool wine. It's, it tends to be characterized. Austi, it is definitely from Asti. <laughs> um, actually, speaking of Asti, a lot of people kind of look down on Asti as a region. Oh. And the like region, wine wise, or? yeah, yeah, okay. and uh-huh. and so the reason for that is because 
Asti is very popular for Moscato d'Asti, oh. right? The sweet, oh, sparkling one. I see. And there are actually some really excellent Moscato d'Asti's in the world, <laughs> but there are also a lot of... Mimi does not like Moscato. Um, there are a lot of low-quality Moscati that yeah. are coming out um, through through that region, and so a lot of people, when they hear Asti, they're like, oh, it's probably trash wine. That's ah. very interesting. Huh? Um, okay. But Barbera is is the lead red grape of Asti. Okay. It's given all of the, like, the best planting sites. It comes from all, like, the hillside vineyards and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so Barbera has kind of led the charge in making, like, superior table wines mm-hmm. in, in Asti and in that region region Piemonte that's where it's fucking hey. from Jesus <laughs> we got it um, so yeah so this one in particular uh, I have the the Molise from the Agostino Pavia i Figli um, producer this is a really cool wine because it's actually from a single vineyard designation um, a lot of, of producers in Italy are starting to fall under that sort of negotiant um, model that they do follow in Burgundy or Bordeaux where they they're sourcing fruit from multiple different mm. vineyards multiple different growers mm-hmm. and then making their own wine out of that okay um, but this particular producer they do own the vineyards they're taking care of it themselves and it's really really neat yeah. um, this one at the vineyard right exactly yeah. yeah and so I think it even says on here somewhere like bottled uh, yeah estate bottled right nice. here on the back oh, okay, so. cool. nice. what impact does it have on like the taste of it so from uh, well, think about they're not having to transport. Well, and I don't know stuff about wine. I'm just trying to like think what I would think about like fruits and stuff. It's just you know transporting it and getting it from different sure, places. Sure, sure, sure. Just there's that factor that's not a factor anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. And at least for me, that's what I'm. I think the other thing is too because I mean a lot of people do transport their grapes uh-huh. before they go into like fermentation and stuff. So uh-huh. I don't know if that necessarily is the biggest factor. Sure, but sure. another thing is that. Generally speaking, if a if a vineyard is tended by hand mm-hmm. and a vineyard is taken care of by hand, there are there are eyes on it and hands on it every day. So they're always trying to keep up with the quality of the grapes as they grow. They're always able to make corrections as they go through the season. Okay. Um, and then they're able to take those grapes and do exactly what they want with them. They don't have to ascribe to, okay, how much do I have to pay for that per mm-hmm. ton? How many yeah. tons per acre are my vines producing? Because they're in control of all those factors. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular vineyard is actually cool because it is on a hillside. And those hillside vineyards tend to get, first of all, a little more elevated meaning that's cooler, mm-hmm. right? So you preserve a little more acidity in the grapes. Um, and then on a hillside, you, you're you almost required to harvest by hand because the machines <laughs> the machines oh. don't drive oh. through the through the hill. Right. And so so that adds another level of just just people paying attention to this wine. Um, it's, as, like, it's like human mom and pop exactly. quality. Exactly. Yeah. And, and some of the best producers in the world are that way. Even, yeah. even the ones that are in the, like multiple thousands of dollars a bottle mm-hmm. is, are, are people who are just really taking care. Yeah, you know, and it's, sure. it's family owned and, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So quality. Yeah. as far as why I picked this wine, uh, Barbera, it's, it's fairly low in tannin. So that's that like drying quality in mm-hmm. wine. Um, and, and I just figured we didn't need a lot of tannin because we've got a creamy sauce. There's a lot of like, there's a good amount of fat in it and and the meat is actually fairly lean because we're using sirloin um, so I figured there was already kind of a good balance there mm-hmm. um, but it is known for having a decent acid for having a sort of kind of wild gamey character to it um, in fact when you smell this it almost smells like 
like a sort of like cured meats like this like charcuterie like prosciutto or salami mm-hmm. um, and then it's got the like the red fruit but it's like a very wild sort of red fruit as if it's like red fruit that's growing in, in a briar patch right like it's, yeah. it's bramble exactly brambled <laughs> brambled red fruit that's exactly what it is and I just think that the wildness and the gaminess of the wine kind of complements the the steak and the mushrooms very well yeah. and the acid cuts through the creaminess of the sauce which I think is nice yeah. Yeah. I really like that description because I was trying to kind of tell you something, you know, me knowing that you know a lot about like different wines, I was trying to tell you something about what I tasted. Mm-hmm. I like your description because it doesn't taste like a fruity berry. It tastes more like a kind of scruffy, yeah, you know, wildy absolutely. berry. You know, I mean, that's that made sense in my head. I love, saying, no, I yeah. love that. Like, I love yeah. scruffy, yeah. wild yeah. berry. Well, there's like, a word perfect. I'm thinking, like, uh, you know, just... Uh, I like pr- prickly. <laughs> sure. But you know what I mean, as opposed to like a very fruity sweet kind of berry to right. a more you know Rustic, gamey yeah. rusticy berry yeah or sure like it's very good I really enjoyed the wine absolutely yeah absolutely so I have a question about um, regions okay so everybody when they think of Russia they're gonna think vodka sure but what is the what's the wine scene like in Ooh. in Mother Russia um, if I'm being honest I'm not sure um, the as far as I know, their go-to is vodka, right? Like that's that's kind of their thing. They make vodka, um, but if they're drinking wine, I'd have to assume they're drinking stuff that's like Georgian wine, Eastern European wines, maybe Greek wine. Um, you know, just and hell, maybe even some some Italian wine because. If I'm drinking wine in Russia, I'm going to want something that's going to be able to go with my cuisine. Because that's the whole thing with with wine, is that it's made to go with foods. So I'm going to be drinking wines that are going to go with my foods. And if I'm having borscht, if I'm having cold beet soup, like I'm going to want something that's going to complement that. I'm going to want something really interesting. Like if I'm thinking cold, like beets... <laughs> like, the I, I, I just want vodka if I'm having cold. Exactly, <laughs> right? Like, my whole spirit. Oh my like, just cleanse your spirit, not just your palate. That's the I new hashtag. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would, I would go for a high acid Italian white. I'm thinking like Vermentino or verdicchio or even like suave like some some weird italian white that's got good acid and they can kind of really that. wash it down exactly like, just get it out know, of yeah, yeah just really yeah definitely we're yeah. not sipping on wine in russia like <laughs> um the one other thing that i did do <laughs> no no moscato to Asti in russia um the other thing that i did for this episode which we're about to get into now is uh so i mentioned burgundy as an option for a pairing for this and so i decided to get a second wine to play around a little bit with. <clears throat> Stay backed off of the... Okay. You're really projecting this evening. Okay. So I decided to get a second wine to play with tonight. This is a Pinot Noir. Ooh. Oh, wow. Uh, but it's a Pinot Noir from Germany. Um, so in Germany, they label their Pinots as Spätburgunder, which is just a, a German name for the grape. Um, and it's it's got a a very similar quality to a burgundy. It's just going to be a little different because it's grown in a different place and it's made by different people. Um, this was actually one that was suggested to me by the uh, the guy that I was working with at Austin Wine Merchant. I was talking to him about the podcast, telling him what we were eating, told him I was looking for Barbera, and he was like, well, yeah, you might even go with like a German Pinot. And I was like, huh, 
That's a good idea. <laughs> so here we are. German Pinot, let's see. For Spätburgunder, it's very interesting because everyone thinks of Burgundy when they think of Pinot, or like all the wine people think of Burgundy when they think of Pinot. Um, but Burgundy, or rather Pinot, has been in Germany as long as it's been in Burgundy. Oh. Um, it's, it was planted by like the same monks who were planting it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an old grape. It's It's been there a long time because when the monks build churches, they have to have communion. And to have communion, they have to have wine, so they plant grapes. That's one of the first things they did. Say that again, bro. <laughs> Hail fucking Europe, brother. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought, yeah, of course, help yourself. Um, I just thought it was very interesting to, to kind of get into this Spätburgunder. Um, and this is not necessarily an expensive bottle. I think it was like twenty two dollars. Literally just disappears as soon as it's very it light. Your palate, right? It's, yeah. You it, you drink it, it hits you, and then it just disappears. Yeah. It's so like, like gulp, gulp, gulp. Yeah, it's one that you can knock out very quickly. <laughs> like when you smell it, it's got this almost like mushroomy character to it. Like, yeah, it's like mushroomy, moldy, like, cellar almost. I was gonna say, I think, and for someone who's who's not super, doesn't have a great sense of smell, the smell was almost more intriguing to me than the taste was. I was like, it oh. It hits ooh. you, yeah, pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty hard. Yeah, I like it too, though. It's pretty, I'm trying to think, I'm terrible at describing smells. Give me, like, ten minutes. That's fine. <laughs> but you're it right, It reminds though. me of a musty cedar chest. Absolutely. No, I, I like, like you open chest. up the, the chest of blankets at the end of your grandma's uh, bed, oh. but it's, you're the first person to open <laughs> it in six months. Yeah, but then the problem is, and you're totally right about this, is there's no finish. Right? Like you take a sip of the wine it and it goes away. Yeah, it's very flat in the palate. Um, I mean, it's a fine wine. There's nothing wrong with it. I, I would drink I it if it. someone gave it to me. But. I kind of like it when wines do that because it's, it's very, it's intriguing to me that you can have that much full flavor but then the mouthfeel is just so like yeah. flat. Yeah. And I mean, if you don't like mouthfeel, this might be the one for you. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. true. I'm not. It's like the that, difference so between be drinking like whole milk and Ugh. and skim skim milk. Yeah, which is body. That's like the, it just coats mm. your mouth. That's absolutely. That is the analogy that most wine people, most psalms, most wine educators use for body. Right. So, mm-hmm. light versus medium versus full is skim versus two percent versus whole. Hmm. Right, and that's that's the idea. So this is this is a skim milk wine. This is a very light bodied red. Mm-hmm. The acid is there, right? Like after it yeah. does go away, it mm-hmm. makes you salivate a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the flavors, <laughs> the flavors don't stick around very long. Yeah. And I I do think that the Barbera is a better pairing for this meal because it's such a, a full bodied meal, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got steak and mushrooms and like a brown gravy with a little tomato in there. So if you're drinking a, a super light pinot it's gonna it's not gonna do anything yeah. to enhance mm-hmm. your eating experience <laughs> and that's the whole idea of pairing foods and wines mm-hmm. I agree yeah. but it's a nice wine to to drink on yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a nice wine but I'm scared I'm just gonna like drink it like in two seconds like juice <laughs> yeah cause it really does just go <laughs> like a white claw oh, yeah <laughs> Okay, I have to tell. Tell us, baby. I have to tell one quick anecdote. I have to tell one really quick anecdote. Then we'll go to break. Um, are you guys familiar with the Adult Swim show? Uh, Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job. No. Okay, so the actor John C. Riley, who's like the guy from like Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, the not the guy who's always with Will Ferrell, he does a skit on on this Adult Swim show, and he's like a news anchor, and they're like, yeah, he's in wine country tasting wine. Let's go to him, and he goes up, and he's got like. 
a purple ring all the way around his mouth. He's wearing these thick rimmed glasses. He's like, like the classic John C. Reilly, like fro. Yes. And he's like, like these big thick Coke bottle glasses. <laughs> and he goes, he's like, they're like, hey, what are you drinking there? He goes, sweet bear wine. <laughs> and then like, he goes, he goes, yeah, you're supposed to spit it out, but no way, Jose, I spin this out. It tastes like fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and he just like drinks a whole glass of it in one gulp, and then pick, like stands up and grabs the tablecloth and drops all the bottles and glasses off the table, and then just like cut to black. <laughs> he said, That's "No way, Jose, I spin this out. It tastes like fruit." I'm like, it's like that episode of Parks and Rec, Parks and Recreation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where like Ben is drinking that blueberry wine. <laughs> It's just like venting about his whole life. Uh-huh. That's what I imagined those monks we were talking about. Hell yeah, yeah. brother. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's our community. Like yeah. yeah. blood, blood of Christ. Quality control. And also with you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's oh, go. Hell. Gosh. We go. It's time to talk some Tchaikovsky. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to take a quick moment to go to hell real quick. Um, we're going to go cleanse ourselves, actually. Uh, we'll be right back after this break. Let's go to mass. Hello friends and fellow musicians, it's me Teresa from the podcast you're listening to right now and I wanted to shout out and let you know that I have another podcast that I started a couple years ago called the Perfectly Imperfect Musician Podcast and I'm launching the second season of that podcast here this week. So if you're a musician, this podcast is going to be for you. We talk about all kinds of things from our struggles to our triumphs to what makes our jobs so rewarding and maybe some tips on how to make your business grow because we're all here to do that right you can find the podcast on apple podcast and soundcloud at perfectly imperfect musician and subscribe and let all of your friends know that we're here can't wait to have you part of our conversation all right back to the show and we're back <laughs> Oh, God. Sorry, guys. I just spent a full minute uh, trolling our uh, super producer slash co-host, Teresa. Yay. Because I love uh, <laughs> trolling her. It's really my life's mission. It is. Um, anyway. Okay. So let's talk about some opera. Eugene. Onyegin. Okay. Uh, hello. My name is Eugene Onyegin. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, yes. So Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onyegin. Um, probably one of the most popular, if not the most popular Russian opera that's at least as far as what's performed in the United States or what's performed at all like the major houses in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, an excellent piece of music. The plot is really simple, which I very much appreciate. Um, one of the things that Teresa and I talked about, and we'll get into this more later, is that, you know, you get some of those, like, old DuPont, like, Mozart operas. They're all super, like, convoluted plots, and someone's tricking someone, and the uh, but they're also being tricked, and it's just, it's a plot to follow. This is very straightforward. Boy loves girl, girl loves boy, whatever. There's tension, there's a fight, there's a debt, whatever. So, without further ado, Teresa's going to lead us in our breakdown of Eugene Onyegin. Yes, all right. So, this is a child- Tchaikovsky opera that's based on a novel, love novel by Pushkin. Um, I don't really know a whole lot of history about him, but 
Is this his normal bag? Like, do you know this anything is, about this author? He's like the the leading most, uh, you know. He's like author, he's like the Ru- he's like the the Goethe of Russia. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Pushkin and um, who's the Tolstoy. other one? Tolstoy. Tolstoy and Pushkin. So yeah, they were like very like romantic. His bag is everything. Authors, okay. yeah. And, so and, he doesn't like specialize in trivial love stories. No, this was very much like a romantic masterpiece of his. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's funny because I have to give my personal backstory on this opera Hmm? before we do the synopsis so when Zachary and I first started dating and he would sing he would try to impress me by practicing in front of me and singing out of his aria books you know we're still we're tenors we do these things and one of the ones that he charmed me with like right off the bat was the Lensky, Lensky mm. aria, and I had no backstory on it. I did not know the the plot of what was going on through this aria or anything, uh, but I fell in love with it because the melody is just beautiful, and uh, and so I was joking the other day after we watched this that if you'd have told me what the plot of the opera was before I heard the aria, I don't know if I'd have had the same emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so basically the story of this opera is it's, it's, it's a very like surface level juvenile love story to a certain extent it is I mean the things that with they unless fight about <laughs> unless you're Linsky unless you're Linsky but I mean we'll get to that okay <laughs> so there there's an impressionable country girl Tatiana um, she through a series of events uh, that has to do with her sister Olga and her lover Linsky um, bringing this uh, debonair uh, Eugene Onegin into the picture and he she falls in love with him right basically um, after meeting him and she writes a letter to him explaining her feelings about how much she loves him and I'm doing a very condensed uh, synopsis oh yeah it's great this is one that you can do that we're gonna just blow through this synopsis really quickly so um, anyway after she writes this letter to him and gets it delivered to him through her nanny's grandson (laughs) which I guess was standard practice back in the day (laughs) Um, they get together and he polite I don't know if you would say politely but very firmly Mm -hmm. tells her like hey thanks but no thanks thanks, you know I'm not into this whole marriage thing which we'll talk about all that Mm. in his 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 little through line I have this sneaking suspicion that Eugene Onegin is is the Russian Barney Stinson yeah a little bit so so anyway he rejects Tatiana and and uh, says, well, we can be friends or whatever and, you know, get your feelings together. Nobody wants to see you all <laughs> emotional about this. Let's go. So then um, there's a party that... Is this party in like, Act 2? It's Tatiana's like birthday. Tatiana's birthday. It's her name day. Right, which is her birthday. Which is basically a birthday party. for Russian people. Uh, and, yeah, that's the thing. Right. Uh-huh. So at this party, everyone's dancing, having a good time, being all fancy. And Linsky is at this party with Olga, which is Tatiana's sister. And 
uh, he brings Anyagin to the party with him. And, of course, Anyagin, being who he is, decides he's just gonna, I don't know, cause trouble or... Yeah, it's like he's just trying to mess with whatever. So he decides he's gonna dance with Olga, flirt with Olga, try and get her to, like, promise every, like, waltz with him and and basically just make Linsky really pissed off. So he gets super jealous with Anyagin. He challenges him to a duel, which, of course, like, what would you not... I mean, why would you not? It's 19th century Russia. 19th century anywhere is gonna end in a duel. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, in, in this duel... Um, Linsky basically ends up getting shot. I yes. mean, he, he ends up dying as a result of this. Rest in peace. Rip. And uh, after several years traveling abroad, and Yagen returns after this duel and killing Linsky, he returns from abroad. And uh, when he gets back to St. Petersburg, he's at a ball and he sees that Tatiana is married now and she's married to a much older prince gremlin is that how you say mm-hmm. it am i saying or right? gremlin Gr- i like gremlin. prince gremlin yeah don't feed him so she's married to prince gremlin at this point <laughs> and and Yegen realizes of course that he loved tatiana all, all along, along. Oh. And uh, he writes her this passionate letter explaining this. And when she receives him at her home, she says, well, I still love you and I always loved you, but I'm not going to let you ruin my life. So, <laughs> bye. So, and, piss off. <laughs> uh, he leaves her. He, She leaves Anyagin in utter despair. Mm-hmm. And then Fiend. that is the end of the opera. Mm-hmm. Finish Eugene Onegin. Yes. Um, yeah, so there's a few things in this opera that, that I'd love to, to talk about and get you guys' opinion on. Um, the first thing is I, I would just like to talk about the character of Eugene Onegin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he shows up in this first scene. So I'm I we watched the 2007 production from The Met, which is Dmitry Forbstovsky, Renee Fleming, Ramon Vargas, like big Amazing cast. all-star cast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and of course, in my mind, Dmitry Vorostovsky is Eugene Onegin. Like, he's just like, I always want him to sing it every time. Oh. Um, but, so, so we watched this production. Um, and so Eugene shows up at the first scene and he's like cocky. He's here with his buddy and he's like, ooh, these girls are cute. But mm-hmm. he, he's like, oh, Eugene, he likes this one. But if I were him, I'd go for the other one. She's cuter. You know, and he's like, mm-hmm. he's just being a, a lame ass, you know. And throughout the opera, he shows us time and again that like, so he's like, oh, yeah, I like this one. But then when she comes on to him, he's like, oh, no, never mind. Ugh. And then at the end, he's like, oh, no, she's married. I want her now. And so it's almost this sort of, like, archetype of the 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 toxically masculine man who only wants something when he can't have it. Or he only wants the conquest or the fight for what is good. You know what I mean? And so, I don't know. I feel like Onyegin is this, this story of this guy who's a dick and, like, creeps what he sows. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was I was really struck by how the the conflict in this story is so 21st. It's so 2019 <laughs> to me. Like sh- like he the way that he rejects Tatiana is like, well, I'm 
you know, you're too good for me. And we mm-hmm. couldn't really settle down because, like, you know, I I'm would get bored stone. and I would ruin your life. Yeah, I'm yeah. a rolling stone. Like, it just sounds like something mm-hmm. that would come from, like, any single dude in 2019. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and then... <laughs> don't fall in love with me. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling Stone gathers no moss, exactly. baby. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, and that on top of at the very end, you know, of course, that that's just like a classic move to want what you do, want what you can't have. Um, but yeah, he's an interesting character, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, another thing that we uh, didn't didn't really talk about in in the recap uh, that that is a very important part of this opera for me, being the tenor, um, is the the actual aria that Linsky sings, which, Guillermo, I'd love to get your take on this since mm-hmm. you've done the role. Mm-hmm. Um, so right before the duel, uh, Linsky is kind of has this, he basically just has this moment on stage where he's by himself and he's allowed to just reflect on what's happened to get him to this point, right? Mm-hmm. So so Guillermo, what, what's happening with Linsky at that point, you know? Uh, in the aria? Yeah, like okay. what what's going on with him? Let me also <laughs> let me also like preface uh, about Eugene Onegin and I I love uh, just about all the characters because um, I love to make opera accessible. But right. man, do I have some very deep feelings about these three characters: Lenski, Tatiana, and Onegin. They okay. go very deep. And in my defense, I think that goes back to the Pushkin and, like, the genius. Bring it on. I would love... Um, Lenski, uh, I think, is someone... Well, if we're going right right to the Arya, because um, I have some thoughts about Onyegin, too. Um, if we're going right to the Arya, I, I think Lenski is, is a person um, who is, is trapped by his own idea of what kind of like society is expecting of him and what he thinks his feelings are telling him to do so you think that's just like the poet's soul it's it's the poet's soul and it's it's him has seeing that this is, has gone on and that he's forced himself to to have this duel with Onyegin because that's just what you have to do in Russian society when someone sure. flirts with a girl and now he's he's trapped and he's basically just this aria is him running through like how did this happen like right. this is my best friend this is my my girlfriend how is it that we're having this conversation Onyegin right how is it that we're about to have a duel like how did I find myself what action did I take what action did someone take for me to find him and to me that's the aria is not necessarily like like oh like I'm so sad that I'm gonna die or oh, I'm so sad about Olga it's like what have we done to get us here because I just I just can't figure it out because I think in if we want, if we scoot back to the act one, Blensky and Olga are their country, they're provincial right. in they're a sense. Absolutely provincial. They're, That's exactly the word I used. Yeah, ex- exactly. And so Lenski just has to do these things, like, in a sense, you know? He, that's just the way it is. And Onegin doesn't. He's not provincial. He he inherited a large fortune, and that's why he, from his from his uncle, who's dying, and he, that's why he lives in the country. Right. He doesn't like it. That's why he flirts with Olga, because Lenski forces him to go to this ball that he doesn't want to be at. And he's bored, and he hates all these provincial country people and so he's like you know what? I'm just gonna mess with Lenski 
and 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 it's that uh, that back and forth of like what society expects and and what Onegin is pushing against those expectations of that and his actions versus Lenski's actions that get them into the situation and Lenski being I think the more emotional if if Onegin is is the the more uh, calculative uh, you know side of that metaphor and sure, Lenski sure, is sure. the emotional part Lenski is just now in the situation and his whole aria is how did we get here mm-hmm. like what where did it go wrong if I if I can just to make a kind of a comparison to some more modern um, musical theater uh, so we've got the idea of this duel and of course me being a, a nerd and a, a musical theater nerd especially when I hear the idea of a duel especially a duel between friends my my mind goes to Hamilton mm-hmm. right you've got Alexander Hamilton Aaron Burr who kind of came up together mm-hmm. and and were basically colleagues through their whole career came up together in the legal system and worked together and all this stuff and then all of a sudden something goes wrong for Burr, right? He loses the election of 1800, because mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. um, Pushes up glasses, continues. Um, and then all of a sudden he's got to challenge Hamilton to this duel because he feels like he's been wronged, right? He feels like this is what's happened. And then in that moment, there's the in in Hamilton. There's the moment of the the bullet, right? So so Burr fires the gun, and there's this sort of suspension of time. And Hamilton has this whole monologue about like, mm. what is a memory? What is a legacy? How did I get here? What am I leaving behind? Like what what happened to to get me here? And what's gonna happen after I'm done here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's the same kind of idea, right? Where Lenski is like, this is supposed to be my friend. He and, can't comprehend it. Yeah, he's like how. Yeah, that's crazy. That's very crazy. Um, pivoting just a little bit, I want to ask you, Reagan. You had mentioned off mic before we started recording. You said Onyegin was maybe one of your favorite operas, definitely your favorite Russian opera, mm-hmm. or your favorite Tchaikovsky. It's my opera. favorite Tchaikovsky. Opera. Yeah. yeah. Why? Because it's one of the only operas that could be argued as a feminist opera. Number one, I would argue almost that it's a nobody opera because everybody in typical Russian fashion just ends up wholly miserable by the mm. end. Or dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's wholly miserable the whole way through. And because Onyegin is never happy. And that's mm. why he's trying to make trouble for everyone else. I would argue that Onyegin is depressed. Sure. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. he's not happy here. He traveled the world. He's not happy there. He's not happy in St. Petersburg. And mm-hmm. he killed his best friend. With this person, with that person, he's not happy. He's not happy. Mm-hmm. He's unhappy at the root. Right. And yeah. it's not Lenski's fault. It's not Tatiana's fault. Mm-hmm. And he it hurts want these to, people too. It hurts them. And as I mean, well as him. And of course we live in a patriarchal society, but that doesn't mean that men have it easy. Because men can't express emotions. Right. Men have to, especially in that time frame, have to, mm. you know, our way of expressing emotions is either um, in, uh, initiating or accepting a duel to kill mm. each other. That's how we're going to express our feelings, guys. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't that doesn't bode well, or that doesn't gel well with Lenski, of course, who has a poet soul and can't mm-hmm. comprehend right. being this angry and having no other options. Mm-hmm. That's sexist, guys. That's the patriarchy working hard. Mm-hmm. And so Onyegin is suffering, Lenski suffering, and dies for it. And one of my favorite moments in the whole opera is, is like, because the plot, like we said, is kind of juvenile. It's kind of a love story just gone awry. 
but the music is what makes it happen for me. Yeah. Because, you know, you talked about in Hamilton, there's like that bullet, you right. know, happening. Uh, Eugenia Yegan has one of those too. And it's just orchestral tension. It's the strings sure. mm. mounting that tension. It's silent. Where there's no spoken. It's right after the uh, duet between Onyegin and Lenski. Okay. And they have a duet and they're just like, I don't really want to kill my friend. But then, of course, they have to. Because mm-hmm. they've accepted, they've, they've taken this upon themselves to do. And it's because it's society. And they have to. They, they have I to. Mean, yeah. Yeah. And there's so they no go action. and there's just, there's no singing. There's no words. Mm-hmm. They just go and they separate. And I think, I don't even know if Lenski takes da, a shot. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I know mm-hmm. exactly. And they... Yeah. In the version, in the '94 version, they just go off stage, right? And only Onye comes back because he won. Mm-hmm. Well, he won. Quote, quote, yeah, like, as right. much as you yeah. can win in that scenario. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's just miserable. It's I like it because it's miserable, and because Tatiana gets the last say. Right. Because Onyegin does make his bid for her, mm-hmm. and she's like. You only you only want me so that you can lord it over other people because I'm not what's gonna make you happy, bro. Right. Like mm-hmm. you just want to ruin my life. Yes, I still love you. That's not the point. Because mm-hmm. getting me is not gonna make you happy. That's that's not it. Have, and I'm already unhappy, so we're all just gonna be unhappy. I love that. I, so I really Russian. do. It's it's, so it's, it's real though it's too. Real. Like yeah. everyone, I I feel like to some extent, um, and this goes back to some conversations that I've had with a friend of the podcast, Kristen Roach. Um, she's an amazing coach and, and she has all these kinds of insights to these roles and these characters and she always talks about uh, Bohème. She talks about how it's so relatable and so real and everyone everyone has been someone in Bohème. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. At I some point that, yeah. in their life, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like everyone has been either the Lensky or the Olga or the Tatiana or the Onegin, right? Everyone yeah. has been... Dis- depressed and everyone has yeah. been depressed to the point that they didn't know what was going to make them happy so they just kind of tried shit yeah I like mm-hmm. that a lot that's a very it's a very strong definitely for me it's a very strong trio of characters and then also and then Olga's Olga. in there yeah. but like you're absolutely right they they encompass a lot of different human just experience and emotion and and just uh, character types and yeah. stuff it's, and I, it, yeah that's very nice it brings me back so this comes back to the whole like simple plot versus convoluted plot that Teresa, you and I talked about um, because when we watched this show, you were like, I would take this over a Mozart opera any day because the Mozart plots are so convoluted and hard to follow and like the music's great, yeah, but but it's just the plot is so out there, right? It's hard to relate to. Yeah. And and I kind of related this to, to the Verismo movement, mm-hmm. right? Because it's the mm-hmm. same idea, which yeah. is Puccini, you know, that, that all tracks, right? So the idea of, of Verismo, of bringing real stories, mm-hmm. bringing real people and real characters that people can relate with, that's what I think makes opera accessible, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, everyone always talks about, oh, what would you, what would you recommend as a first opera for someone to watch? What would you recommend? And and, and a lot of people are like Marriage of Figaro, uh, yeah. Barber of Seville. You know, like <laughs> these people don't mm. like you. Just so you know, they <laughs> don't not, want you. To I would, they don't a, want you to have a good time. No. <laughs> as somebody who's not a vocalist, I would definitely not suggest a Mozart opera for somebody <laughs> on their first round. No way. And and you know, granted, as much music history as I know, I don't know a whole lot about opera history but i can say that i i see a trend that the the older the opera the the shorter the arias are so the 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 points where the 
the the character is explaining their feelings and like mm. emoting and there's there seems to be more dialogue more recitative mm. um the farther along down the timeline you get you start mm. having simpler less convoluted storylines sure Longer arias or longer moments where, uh, like a oh yeah, where like a character is going. Is developing I am their so emotions. depressed, and where am I going? And mm-hmm. who am I? If and one this thought person. lasts a whole fifty minutes, right? Yeah. And so you get to you know a, sh- a show like this where we're having these moments where we're kind of sitting back and and going. Is, is, is Tatiana still singing about whether or not he's gonna like? <laughs> yeah, she sings this for letter? a long like, time. <laughs> how long is she gonna sing about this? You know, yeah. and it's like the, it feels like there's this urgent need for the the composer mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to to get out yeah. all these feelings, and, uh, like, and to spend as much time as possible, and kind of touching on like these ideas of of you know how we understand like the Russian culture and society and and how they emote as a as a, a society right. within that that they're kind of we kind of think of them as like very stern dry people but when you watch an opera like this and it's they spend all this time like talking about their emotions it's kind of contradictory but <laughs> oh, somebody go. Tchaikovsky's <laughs> gang. Yeah, okay. I was about to say that's the okay. thing, and that's what you see in Lenski mm. is, is Tchaikovsky. You see Tchaikovsky and Lenski because Tchaikovsky maybe didn't fit into that stern society. Sure. Uh-huh. He just didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had things that he needed to let out. And the, and then Lenski in, Girl, you know, same. this opera, <laughs> really, and Lenski yeah. in this opera doesn't do well handling these situations because he has stuff that he needs to let out, but he can't. He has to just challenge someone to a duel. That's what you do. Yeah. When you are that mad about someone, you know, flirting, dancing with your girlfriend, you don't get to talk about it with them, you know? And I think that's what I see in Lenski and that I think that's a reflection of Tchaikovsky possibly in his time is that mm. there, I think there was he just did, was oppressed yeah. himself well right, I've, you know? I've always Sorry, found no 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 that, that kind of goes down the same thought process that I'm having that yeah. I've always had the biggest emotional reactions to Russian composers and r- Russian music mm-hmm. um, whether it's whether you're talking about the Shostakovich mm-hmm. the yeah. symphony which is like my mm-hmm. absolute Shastify favorite yes. like yes. I stand for Shostify like all day absolutely you know first time he sang right. the Linsky aria for me I literally cried mm-hmm. and and, it's and I'm just, not even very good and it, so it's up. you know I, I can't help but think that it must be the fact that they lived under such mm. oppre- oppressive uh, circumstances that so as an art it's <laughs> very cold as an artist like it was their duty or their their I mean they just could not Dude, you're so right. just emote with their art mm-hmm. so um, I do have one more thing to add just just to kind of talk about uh, the progression of, of opera through history 
history and, and the scene structures. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you mentioned you you feel like Arya's and 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 the the emotion gets longer mm-hmm. in the plot. I think what it is is it gets more detailed, mm-hmm. and so it feels longer because mm-hmm. when you go back to let's say Baroque music or bel canto music, right? So you get this sort of da capo structure where you have an A section, B section, then a return of the A section. And so so that can last you seven to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's and it's <laughs> yeah, like six so. lines. But the problem is that's only like six lines of text mm-hmm, for yeah. seven to ten minutes, right? Sure. And so even in you when you get into like True. let's say as an example, Barbara Seville, the mm-hmm. the big um, what's the mezzo aria? Una voce. Una voce poco Thank you. There's not a lot of text in that aria. And it's long as hell. Mm -hmm. But the whole point was that we take it and we make really exciting, really fun music out of it that allows Mm -hmm. the singer to show what they can do. Right? And so I feel like at some point through this through this line of progression through hit through operatic history, the composers maybe didn't focus as much on let's show off the fireworks of the singer Mm -hmm. and they started moving to let's show off the emotions of of the character and let's and let's provide a canvas that the singer can still show off Mm -hmm. on but but that that also provides a solid emotional context and Mm -hmm. and with that as we as we move from bel canto into verismo and the kind of gradations in between Mm -hmm. we get these ideas of of the scene structure falling out, right? Mm-hmm. So we have the Rossini scene structure that's like the cabaletta, the, can- the cantina, like all these kind of things. Yeah. And and so as we move into Verdi, right, we get Verdi's Rigoletto mm-hmm. where all of a sudden he he's he's using ensembles and he's using arias to not only talk about emotion but to move the plot oh, forward yeah. right and so i feel like as we're kind of progressing past 1900 in operatic history the composers are starting to get good at that mm-hmm. yeah and so puccini gets really good at it tchaikovsky <laughs> is really good at it yeah. and i think this is this is like the crowning jewel of tchaikovsky opera like we've kind of talked about because he's able to have tatiana alone on the stage oh. for 10 to 12 minutes forever and it's oh and it's beautiful music and it's she's beautiful. and she's not repeating yeah. she's not repeating yeah. text uh-huh. right she's not just singing una voce poco fa over and over and over, <laughs> and over again. Yeah. yeah you know yeah. it's it's substance yes oh gosh that so because good. and and also again that literature is in place that substance exactly. from that literature well in so, pushkin yeah. that that was something cool i didn't know when i watched the production the guy who did like the talk before the show mm-hmm. he was saying that that the pushkin novel was actually the whole thing was written in verse mm-hmm. yeah. the whole thing was a like an oh, epic yeah. poem yep. it's a nightmare to read to i've never tried oh, good for you for trying don't do it it's <laughs> good Just watch god the opera is better it's under my bed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean it's it's so interesting to, to think about how how the art form has progressed mm-hmm. how how the music can tell the story now and how these mm-hmm. these singers my god Renee Fleming can sing that shit mm-hmm. um Kira Takanawa does a really good oh I bet she it. does I would love to hear Kira Takanawa sing Tatiana. she sings it in English too so it's like <gasps> yeah that letter that letter scene is long but man is that some of, I think some of the most just 
oh, mush, it's so... best music. Like if you, like, yeah, I like to look at a score while I, like you, and you just, it's crazy. It's yeah, it's insane. pretty insane. It's, it's special. But yeah, it's if, special you're, if you're if you're if you're you know at the Met watching it, it's like this has been on for a while for sure. <laughs> like I totally. Get I mean, that. if you have to, like, pee, it's, it's a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like guys, come, but yeah, but it's but it's amazing. Yeah, I wanted to comment yeah. on your Lensky sympathization. It's, yeah, it's like, yeah. Because like, of course you relate to Lensky because you're a tenor and mm, stuff. Same. But I like but all that, the characters. But that like representation of Tchaikovsky in Lensky, I don't buy because <laughs> I really don't think uh, Tchaikovsky was ever as optimistic as Lensky. Um, because if you look at the scene between uh, Olga and Lensky in the first I think scene, Lensky's not the Eve though. He, with the Olga in the garden, like mm-hmm. or in oh, it's just so happy. He's happy. He's naive right. though. It doesn't matter. He's still happy. I don't think Tchaikovsky well, ever had the luxury of being naive. I don't think Tchaikovsky so. was nineteen. I, at too one brilliant. Point, you know? I think like Tchaikovsky was. But you've never you've point, never yeah. known from thirteen years old that you liked men. Right. Well, yeah, and, and that's to know that you could a... be killed for liking men in mm-hmm. your own country. Yeah. I don't think Tchaikovsky ever had that naivety. It's not a direct. And not, I don't know, you know Tchaikovsky personally. Obviously. Sure. Yeah. But I think Onyegin does a better job of reflecting the abject, you know, De- you know, well, depression yeah. and misery that I do believe encapsulates. They're all. Over, they're all. Over I was going to say. Right. It's ultimately, that's Absolute, why he picks the story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. It's, it's, but uh, like, yeah, it's crazy. Like, but I just don't. I'm not a Lenski sympathizer. I totally because am. Ultimately, um, and I asked Guillermo today. I was I was texting as I was watching on my conference, and I was like, "Was Lenski drinking at the scene where like he confronts Onyegin and gets so mad about him dancing with Olga? Like, is he drinking?" And I've I've been furious enough to do stupid crap like that without alcohol. Same. And so I'm like, there's a lot of emotion behind there, and I think it's driven by you know he does love Olga, and he also loves Onyegin though. And so he's like, I don't understand why two people I love are doing this to me. Right. Like, and I felt that before. Like, I hate it, and I feel furious too. But I don't think without the optimism, he would have been that furious. Sure. Here's, an, here's another thing, though. Lenski, I think. First of all, and and I have a. Okay, I and you don't like when I say this. I do think Eugene Onegin is a bromance opera. I think it is the romance of Lenski and Onegin. Oh, boo! So, I, like, what do you mean? Like, what do you so, mean it's a romance opera? Like, I'm, I first of all, I'm about to. It's not. Hold so, on. Okay, I wanna, I wanna hear your argument. I, I really do. Why? And I, I don't feel it like I, it, it's, it's a. Well, I'd have to go through the whole opera. But what I, the the reason I'm bringing that up is because when this whole thing happens between Onegin and Olga. Yes, Lenski's mad because Olga is doing something, but in all the text in the opera... He's talking about Onyegin. He's... Onyegin is doing something to me. He's hurting me. Right. Mm. Lenski loves Onyegin. I think Lenski loves Olga, but, but again, Lenski loves the idea of being in love. He loves the idea that this is what's supposed to happen in my life. Right. And I love that I have a person and I and I am good with that and the people see that but, and I love that and I love my life because of it and everything is kind of just fallen into place. 
I do think he does love Olga, but but I don't think it's like a uh, like a you know like a, a Rodolfo Mimi love. Mm. I think when this happens, the issue with Lenski is that his world is now falling apart. Right. The world that he loved and he built, and it's this man that he loves, his best friend, that's causing it, and right. it's just bringing it down. And I I, I you know again. You're right. I have a bias because I I love this role. You, you, we talked about Hatraviata, you know, like last time is, is my opera. This I thought of a good way to. This is my op role. This is, is the role. one I right. love. I love everything about it, and there's so much in it, and I, I am biased, but there's so much evidence to me in in there uh, that that this story is about Lenski and Onegin, and in Act Three. Onegin has lost. Is it about who in Onegin in Act Three? Lenski. <laughs> exactly. Yes, no. in Act Three, Onegin has lost his, his love. only friend. His only, his best friend, the one person he talked to in that whole town, was Lenski. That's why he had to go to the ball with him because Lenski is his only friend. He has and to do what Lenski Len, wants to do. When Lenski is not around anymore, not, yeah. then he sees Tatiana, and he's just desperate for for anything, connection, for connection, for for meaning, for can I get? If you're talking about Onegin as being a depressed person, Lenski was that one person that gave him like that glimmer of like there's something maybe like in the world, and and once that's gone, it's like that's okay. me. I have I'm to biased. hear Reagan. Yeah. You are so, like you yeah. just look like well, Reagan it does, doesn't like this. It does it does make sense that, because I, you know, you're left wondering, well, why does he all of a sudden love Tatiana at the very end? Yeah. Is it just because of toxic masculinity and you want what you can't have, or is it something else? Yeah, and there's so it many gives another perspective exactly, exactly, to that. For sure. His last moments in that opera it makes a little more sense, but. I I don't agree, obviously, but I can disagree civilly. Absolutely, it's um, not even a disagreement. It's, I think it's dual about it. So yeah, but um, oh fuck, I don't even know where to begin because no. Well, I said um, it's a bromance, and you it's disagree. Not, so. It's not a bromance okay. because if anything. Like we can't we can't just call platonic love a bromance. Right. Like that reduces it too much. Because a bromance is like I don't I don't know, it's too simple for what's going on there. Because Onegin Onegin is not uh he's not fulfilled by Lenski either. And that's why he's at the ball trying to make trouble, because he's like, it's Lenski's fault I'm here at right. all. Sure. Like I don't even mm-hmm. want to be here. I am unhappy. Lenski's not making it better for so me. So why did he go then? What other option did he have? Everyone was at the ball. I mean, he he's, could have stayed he's reaching, dude. He's reaching just like every sure. person who was afflicted he went is reaching. He's going. No, it's not true. He went because he's seeking something. I love could, that. Could this be a feminist text and a bromance opera at the same it, time? I think it is all of it, and there's no right or wrong. Like obviously, like no, I'm not trying to. I'm not you saying know. a bromance opera conflates. Mm-hmm, like I think yeah. they can coexist. Absolutely. However, I don't think this is a bromance opera because because Onegin. Was not into like he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't I, fulfilled by Lindsay. I know what either. you're saying. I right. see. What, I know what you're saying. Like, yeah. and he he was not happy. And the only reason he wanted to be he wasn't happy at the end either is the thing. Even when he saw Tatiana and said, "Oh, I'm in love with her," mm-hmm. that's ju- that's him conniving and reaching. He's reaching again because he's like, "I, I really want to find too. something." Right. Because yeah. Lenski didn't do it, and and I think he also feels guilty. 
also. Sure. That for, that he killed Lenski. He's Whoa. like, it's not Lenski's fault that I'm miserable, and I think he recognizes that. Yeah. And this is just my analysis, because if I yeah, privilege yeah. the depressed perspective, which I'm doing currently, Onyegin's never yeah. happy. And he's like, he's reaching, I mean, poor I guy. Like, yeah. And I don't think if he had gotten, thank you, if he had gotten with Tatiana, I don't think he would have been happy then either. Right. And I think Tatiana had the wisdom to see that too, because she's like, bro, you are just, hmm. we're all unhappy, man. Sure. And I'm like, I'm sorry. We're Russian. Yeah. <laughs> it's too fucking yeah. cold. It's too this. cold. But yeah. it's, just, it's seasonal depression all year long. All year long. Porsche is too cold. I think the that's... Porsche is too hot. <laughs> no! Not the fuck. But that's, yeah. what, that's what's great about great literature, right? Like, they're not spoon-feeding it to you. It's up oh, from yeah. thousands of interpretations. Oh, and, okay. and every person, it's special to them in their own way. Mm-hmm. You know? So uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, I love yeah. that. It's great. Um, so that's Eugene and Yegan. Are there any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up, Eugene and Yegan? I I do love just the misery that is so throughout. It is prevalent. And it and it it's like a decrescendo of happiness the whole time. Sure. We start with a lot of happy. <laughs> like the Olga, dude. The the Lensky Olga scene is like one of the most outpouring of love things. Mm-hmm. It's like the foil between that and the Lensky's aria. Yeah. Is when Lensky yeah. has his like boom, like pitfall into despair. Mm. Before that, he's happy and then he's conflicted and then he's like, I give up. Or he doesn't give up, but the world, you know, implodes. It's over. It's yeah, over. It's, it's done. But he's so happy. It's one of the happiest operatic things I've, like, ever witnessed in opera. And there's that range of emotion mm-hmm. is also what endears mm-hmm. it It's to brilliant, me. Yeah. yeah. It's so... It's, it's very so hard. Violent. You have yes. to have a... You have to have not only a tenor who's vocally capable, but who's emotionally capable. With long mm-hmm. hair. Uh, with with, with beautiful <laughs> hair. <laughs> like, if you don't have Wig that hair, hoe. I don't want him. Um, she texted there. me that earlier. She's like, if your Lenski doesn't have long hair, I don't want him. Get him okay, off. so <laughs> this brings me to... I have two final thoughts, and one is about my favorite Lenski. So, mm. shout, quick shout out to my favorite, my personal favorite tenor, who's Piotr Bechawa. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's Polish great. tenor. He's amazing. Absolutely. And so I have a little story so, about about Piotr Bechawa singing Lenski's aria hmm. and what kind of endeared me to this aria and then subsequently to this opera was our, um, our voice teacher, Nita. Um, she... It's a blessing. <laughs> we, so Nita, for those of our listeners you don't know Nita Hudson, she's a, an amazing woman with a lot of... Um, Emotion and a lot of a lot of feeling, and she cares very deeply about everything. And Nita told me one day she came running up to me and she was like, "Have you heard this guy singing this aria?" And I was like, "No." And so she told me the story. She was in a drive-through line at a fast food restaurant, and she was listening to like the Met broadcast on like HG radio or whatever. And she said she was in line waiting to order, and Piotr Bechawa started singing Lenski's aria, and she said it was perfect. She said it was so good that she had to pull out of line so she didn't have to turn down the radio to order. She was like, uh, no, I have to finish this. So I just have to shout out to, to my guy, Piotr Bechawa, who is my favorite tenor, my favorite Lenski. He really, his recording is really perfect, if you haven't heard it. Um, and then the other thing I have to say is I have to shout out to the role and Nick uh, Shikoff also Shikoff oh yeah 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 um, that's, that's my guy too but sorry sorry I yeah, have go to ahead. no you're good I just shout out to the role of, of the nanny Filipievna oh <laughs> yes can oh, yeah. we please oh, talk shit. about okay because first of all Filipievna is really in her chest voice this whole <laughs> opera she is Girl. in 
her chest voice. I'm talking boy. like, wow. It is just excellent. Like, I'm not an opera singer, and I barely can even explain to you what chest voice means, and I knew that she was in her chest voice. The problem is when people are not in their wow. chest voice. Yes. <laughs> and so, and so one of the things that I said to her, because we were talking about this, and, and I said, and wait, let me, she, see what, let me say what I said first. I was like, I was like, this is this, this is must be somebody's auntie or somebody. Like she owed, someone owed her a favor. Her a favor. And then he goes, no, she probably just sings this role all over the world. Like oh, this is yeah. her shag. This is this it. is her yeah, thing. And, so, and she's like seventy two years old yeah, and hobbling paycheck, around stages all over the mm-hmm. world singing. And so she is. Find mine. I love yeah, it so right? much because because the thing is 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 with a role like that you don't sing a ton. But and everything you sing may not be super vocally taxing. crazy or yeah. taxing. You know, there's a lot of chest voice. There's a lot of very real sounds that you have to make. Mm-hmm. But it requires a, an intelligent singer because right off the bat you have that mm-hmm. duet and yeah. then you have the quartet where there's like no orchestration and everyone is singing on their own and you have Great to just song. have it one eye on the director and one eye on God, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and so, so I just want to shout out God. to everyone, whoever you are in the world out there singing Philippe. If not, I see you. We, we get it. And also, you know, it's Tatiana's like the second mother. ladies of the world. Yes. Oh my. Yes. Yeah, the whole court. It's like beautiful whole too. Yeah. And also, from a feminist perspective, the portrayal of mothers in that opera is actually positive. Yeah. Quite nice. Yeah. So that's good. It's good to see positive mamas in opera. Hmm. Fun fact: This opera passes the Bechdel it test. It does. It, it sure passes does. the Bechdel it test. It sure yeah. fucking do. Thank you, Alison yeah, Bechdel. Of times. Huh. My final thought on this is that if. You know, if you're looking for the one of the reasons why I love Russian music, Russian literature, uh, Russian art in general, is that it kind of it kind of gets into that little space in your soul where you need something to match your feelings on the inside. Like you know how. A rainy day is really satisfying when you're sad because you need the outside to match yeah. the inside. So, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, I, I, I'm so obsessed with Shostakovich 5 because mm-hmm. it's so, like, melancholy and joyful, like, all in the same, mm-hmm. like, setting. <laughs> Too far. And, yeah, and you, <laughs> and you just, I, I just, I don't really get that from any uh-uh. other nationality. I Dude. mean, I, and to some extent, yes, but th- no, for, yeah. for Russian composers and, and Russian it's writers, a, it's just different. It's like they yeah. took, um, yeah, it's like they took Wagner's idea of, like, the Gesamtkunstwerk, like, the total artwork, and then took yeah. it to the next level. Mm-hmm. I think the only other... It's like the full human work. Yeah. Right. The, the only other large work that I think does that for me is, is Mahler 5 or anything that Mahler yes. does because he would literally go and lock himself in a cabin like a mile and a half and away from if his he, house and just yeah. like lament oh, and then write you know yeah. so you gotta it. appreciate that so. awesome well guys it's been such a pleasure having you back Let's do this again sometime. Yeah. Um, before we leave, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anywhere people can follow you, find you on the internet, or not, you know, whatever? Um, anything you've got coming up that you want to promote? Um, our dog has an Instagram. Hey! What? We'll follow that, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's moonshine underscore Beverly underscore Surefoot. She's named after three different individuals. Yeah, All she is. are recognized. Okay. Um, so that's our dog's Instagram. Their dog is cute as fuck. She's a blue pit bull. She's so pretty. Oh. Very cute. Her and Mimi are friends. Well, they will be. They haven't met yet. Once my friends. dog stops trying to eat other dogs. 
<laughs> we'll figure it out. Anyway, <laughs> Guillermo, where can we find you, follow you, etc.? Um, I've got, you know, Instagram, or uh, uh, you can go to GuillermoDelgadoTenor.com, or you, if you're in the Austin area, you can listen to me Saturday and Sunday on Classical 89.5 KMFA, or you can stream us on our app, just search KMFA or 89.5, um, and those are the places you'll find me, uh, you know, these days, awesome. so just keep an eye out, and uh, yeah, for sure. I love it. Awesome. Tessa, where can we find you, follow you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at PalTK, and you can find me on Twitter at Teresa the Flute. I've been trying to stay off of there lately because uh, stuff's all wild out here in these streets. And um, I am teaching private lessons in the Austin area, flute and piano. So if you need any of those things, go to my website, TeresaKPowell.com. That's K-A-Y-E. That's all. Rock on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zman Tenor. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast, at Eat Drink Opera, as well as um, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. We have a Facebook fan page, but we don't do much with it other than post our episodes because Facebook's kind of lame. Um, what else? Yeah, if you're listening right now, wherever you're listening to us, first of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, go over and hit the like button, hit the rate button, give us a a good rating, hit the subscribe button, button because that's how we are able to spread the word. That's how we're able to get more sponsors. That's how we're able to do more with this podcast. Um, Other than that, we are very excited to be um, here with you all again. This is a great couple episodes to start our second season and we'll be back again next month. Guys, until next time, cheers. Cheers. Great time. Delicious food. Mm -hmm. And one last thing before we go. Sorry, I forgot to do this when we were recording, but every uh, every month we like to write out on a recording from a featured artist. Um, We like to support our young artists in the industry. We know it's hard to get exposure out there. So this month's featured artist is Eric Morgan, uh, actually a friend of mine, and he will be singing Dandini's aria, Come un ape, from La Cenerentola by Rossini. Uh, the pianist is Bethany Self from Rice, and I believe this recording is actually from a live performance of La Cenerentola that Eric was in. So, really good stuff. Eric, um, great guy, great singer, and you can read more on his bio in the footnotes, and we so look forward to seeing you again or hearing you again next month. We'll talk to y'all soon. Cheers.
Oh. Wow. 